Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Bucks had what Bruce Arians called the perfect drive to start Friday's 30-28 preseason loss at Pittsburgh. We'll tell you who looked good, who looked bad, and what the Bucks are concerned about. And it is Deja Vea again this year. Vita Vea is not going to play in the preseason. He's not been ruled out for the season opener with that knee injury, but we probably won't see him until sometime in the first month of the regular season until he returns. And the Rays swept the Mariners, but Kevin Cash is turning to Captain Hook as he prevents Ryan Yarbrough from throwing his first complete game of his career in the first for the Rays in about three years when he took him out with no one on and two out in the ninth inning, but the Rays win in a one to nothing shutout. We've got all that and more in this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, if you'd like to sponsor a portion of this podcast, we've got lots of new ways you can do that. Our advertisers are having great success. And you will, too. For information, here's what you do. Contact us on Twitter at SportsDayTB. Reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com, and we'd love to have you be part of our team. We're also going to have a programming note, a mailbag uh, for tomorrow's show, so you can reach us on Twitter at all those addresses. We'll give those to you later. So get your questions ready, whether it's uh, about the Bucks, the Rays, the Lightning, any of the college football, anything you want to bring to the table, we're happy to answer those questions on tomorrow's podcast. All right, we'll talk about Friday's preseason loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers in a minute, but uh, let's first start out with the news that also broke Friday morning about Vita Vea. So he does have a knee injury. It is the left knee that he hurt in practice earlier in the week. I think it was on Tuesday of last week. Um, turns out it is the uh, lateral collateral ligament, I believe, and uh, that is uh, – you know, one of the rare ligaments, I guess, in the knee that are not damaged very often. The good news is is that he won't need surgery, but he is going to miss the entire preseason and then into the pre, into the regular season, perhaps. Now, they have not ruled him out for the season opener against the San Francisco 49ers. That's good. He's walking around on a knee brace. He's not showing any discernible limp or anything like that. But you're talking about a big man who uses his legs at nose tackle. It's kind of like what happened to him, like I said, deja vu, because if you remember last year in his rookie season, the first day in pads, he has the calf injury, and they didn't think that was going to knock him out for very long. Well, he wound up missing all of training camp preseason and then didn't return until week four of the regular season at Chicago. And the, the downside of this, quite frankly, is that they put their eggs in, in his basket, you know, for the most part. I mean, you – you go ahead and you release Gerald McCoy, who's now, of course, with the Carolina Panthers. And even though you signed Indomitian Sioux, which is essentially McCoy's replacement, you know, let's face it, he's only here for one season. He has a one-year deal. Uh, the reason you made these moves with McCoy and allowed him to walk out of here is because you had so much confidence that Vea is going to be sort of that, that face in the middle of your defense for years to come. So, you know, without the advantage of, having a training camp, having preseason games, you know, because game action is certainly different than practice. Um, you know, that's going to set him back a while. It might take him a while to get into sort of football shape, if you will. Uh, not that his conditioning is a problem now, but, you know, if you can't do much on that knee, 
everybody else would have played two, three, four games maybe before we see him in the regular season. So, again, they're they're optimistic. They're thinking it's going to be quicker than that. Um, but it's almost sort of like the same schedule that uh, he had last year when he didn't come back until week four at Chicago. And really the first few games, if you remember when Vea came back last year, he wasn't very good. And I think that's understandable. But, you know, Jason Light had a talk with him, told him to let it loose. He finally did. He finished strong. But this is a new defense that he's trying to learn, new schemes. They're, they're back into a, a 3-4, which is something that he's well-suited for. Um, but, again, without the benefit of actually doing it on the grass in the preseason, um, not good news. But it could be much, much worse. I mean, they didn't know what if Beta would, uh, Vita Vea would be you know, available to them sort of all season long. So that's the uh, prognosis for him anyway. Getting to the game, um, you know, let's uh, let's start with the fact that the Pittsburgh Steelers, Steve, they played nobody. I mean, I was I was look. Every team approaches the preseason differently, but this year it seems it could just be me, and I'm not just talking about the Hall of Fame game, which is an extra preseason game. It seems as if these teams in the first preseason game are either very like sort of you know, not playing their starters at all, particularly their quarterbacks. Or they're running them out there for like one series to hand the ball off a few times and then calling it a day. I really think that, you know, in the Steelers, we looked up and I think we counted five of the 22 starters on their team that were on the field. You know, I mean, we all talk about how the preseason is too long and, and everyone wants to shorten it. Well, the coaches are already doing that, essentially. They are. Yeah. You know, look at the Bucks. I mean, their first mm-hmm. two quarterbacks played what? Two, three series? What I mean, three, uh, a total of two, I believe. Yeah, two, and that's, yeah. that's each, a good... each had one series. So I mean, you were at your third yeah. string by the third series for the Bucks. That's correct, and it's. I'm glad you brought that up because we asked about it. First of all, if you're Ryan Griffin, who is in his sixth season, I think, um, in Tampa Bay, um, who has never taken a snap in the regular season, he's going to go down as like you know the Crash Davis of preseason football. Uh, it's just unbelievable to me that this guy hasn't at least gotten in to take one snap, even if it was a kneel down. But nonetheless. He's almost, you know, he's like 29 years old. And he has to play the balance of that game with, you know, essentially number three talent around him. He managed to throw for over 300-something yards. I mean, he, he did a fairly a fairly credible job. But they, they basically, you know, signaled to him and the rest of the NFL that, you know what, um, Ryan Griffin's probably not going to be on this football team because we, we are so worried about Blaine Gabbert getting hurt. Blaine Gabbert getting hurt. That we're only going to play him one series, and after, you know, after the game, we asked about what, you know, why, why is your number two only playing just one series as your starter did? And he goes, "Well, I'll be honest with you, I got a little freaked out because I watched the Eagles back up Nate Sutfeld get hurt, and that's exactly what happened. Nate Sutfeld was going to play most of the game, um, you know, for the Philadelphia Eagles in the first preseason game. They they were not going to risk Carson Wentz out there at all." And Sutfield was playing very, very well, and then he got rolled up and he, he put his wrist down, and it looks like he's injured his wrist, and he could miss a month or so. Um, so, you know, I, I would feel bad if I were Ryan Griffin, but they're not going to take a chance with either Winston or Gabbard, at least in, in week one. And, you know, I will say, though, that, uh, you know, the series that Winston did play could not have gone much better for him. I mean, I thought as an offense they came out, and again, no starters really on the defensive side of the ball as far as, you know, that goes with uh, the mm-hmm. Pittsburgh Steelers. But, I mean, when you come out and you are, what was he, five of six for 40 yards passing, the mm-hmm. only ball he missed was a deep shot to uh, Brashard Perryman. 
threw the ball quick, threw it to his running backs. Each each of their guy, each of his guys, you know, uh, caught passes out of the backfield, which was something we haven't seen from them. And he moved him right down the field, 81 yards for a touchdown, and he got a lot of help from the running game. And I thought mm-hmm. that was you know very very impressive. So you know when you look at it, you go, wow, you know you couldn't have scripted it much better. I mean. They started out with Peyton Barber. He gets three carries for 18 yards and catches one pass. Then they go to Ronald Jones. He gets four carries for 18 yards and catches one pass. And so that those are productive carries. Those they look good doing it. Uh, and then they get the uh, you know the screen, um, you know at the end uh, for a touchdown to Chris Godwin. And so they're in the end zone. And that you know I understand why Bruce Arians took took all his guys out at that point, including, you know, the, sort of like the first team offensive line. Um, but, you know, if, if you could script it, and we talked to Bruce Arians about this after the game and then later, you know, that, that is sort of the perfect drive where you have balance, where you had the balance between the run and the pass. Not everything was on Jameis, although he made plays. Like, he was, he was facing uh, incredible pressure once on third down, spun out of mm-hmm. it. Uh, kept his eyes downfield, kept two hands on the ball, and ran for a first down. And I think what he showed, Steve, is this maturity of playing the quarterback position and not forcing things. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and to go back to even this, the resting players, I mean, if you're Bruce Arians and you're that freaked out about your number two quarterback getting hurt, if the Steelers had been starting their starters and you weren't a new coach where you want to instill some confidence in a new offense, you probably yeah. weren't going to play Jameis in this game. Maybe not. But I think seeing the Steelers had pretty much backups in, and you want to install some confidence in Jameis and the whole offense, and so give them a series. But if I'm a coach, I mean, I wouldn't play my starters in game one, just like you don't play them in game four. I right. mean, injuries change the game of football so much. Oh, it's devastating for teams. And, I mean, you know, who do you want to lose, right? Well, you don't want to lose your quarterback for sure. Mm-hmm. And some team probably will, and not just Nate Sutfeld. Like, somebody's probably going to lose their starter in, in preseason. It almost happens every single year mm-hmm. um, for some length of time. So you don't want to lose him. And, and that you know, that is just trying to get to the starting line of the regular season with as many guys healthy as you can. It's like NASCAR. It's, it's a war of attrition. Um, every time you, you play somebody, there's, there's a risk of injury. And what are you, you know, what are you risking it for? They get plenty of reps in practice where they can control the the lack of contact for quarterbacks. That's why, you know, the Dolphins are going to come to town this week to scrimmage against the Bucks. And you know, there was a time when that was real in vogue, and then teams got away from it. Now it's now it's back. Every team is doing it, and the reason is, you know, you avoid the contact with the quarterback number one, and really with any player because you're you're sort of scrimmaging together you know with a kind of a not taking guys to the ground agreement it's just pro thump as we call it and so you can put your team and your players in specific situations that you script right third and short um, goal line you know uh, red zone all that stuff and you're getting good work but you're not having to do it um, with the same sort of liability that you would have in a preseason game um, and, you know, you're also working, you know, ones against ones and stuff like that so that some guy trying to make a roster on the second or third team decides, like in a preseason game, hey, I think I'll take a whack at the starting quarterback for the other team, and he winds up getting hurt. So there's a lot of benefits to that. But you're right. I mean, these more and more, I think these teams are saying, uh, first game, nah, not going to play that one. If a little it, bit it, maybe in this second. Yeah. If it wasn't for the, then, the ticket the sales on the preseason games, I mean, there's no reason that pros can't do what college does. There's no preseason no. in college. No, there's not. Well, <laughs> unless you consider 
you know, Arkansas State, your preseason well, but, might, sure. but, might I mean, be. Well, but Miami's going to play Florida know. in the first game. I mean, there's no – that's right. not the, a gimme no, for no, your you're team. Right. I mean, well, and USF's know. playing Wisconsin, and it's not a gimme for Wisconsin. Exactly. So, yeah, you're right. What I'm saying is they the first game right counts. The first game counts. Yeah. You know, yeah, and but, it could – it could. You know, so with injuries meaning so much that you can't blame coaches for being – particularly at the quarterback position. Right. Well, they used to fake it because they would charge full prices. I think there are some teams that discount the preseason games a little bit than they used to. They used to just be part of the package. I know several teams in the season tickets now. The preseason are less. The regular season's more. But it all adds up to the same amount at the end of the day. It's the same amount. So, yeah, you can slice the pie any way you want to. But, I mean, if you know, like, for example, they have, like, you know, sort of variable pricing, right? Mm -hmm. So if there's a team that's an attractive team that that everybody wants to go watch and play, say the New York Giants, um, then – those prices are going to be more than the normal prices for people to buy a ticket, and then that makes up for whatever they discount, you know, for game four of the preseason. So it all it all does kind of come out in the wash. Um, but you know, to the extent that the Bucks played a few more people mm-hmm. than the Pittsburgh Steelers, I thought the Bucks did did pretty well, and, at and, least in the initial part of the game. And to get back to your point, it was the perfect first drive for the Bucks. I mean, oh, a new coach, yeah. new offense, new offensive coordinator. Jameis back mm-hmm. at the helm after last year starting suspended and the preseason yeah. was very different. You wanted to install confidence in that offense. And Ronald Jones looked good. Peyton Barber yep. looked good. That's exactly what you wanted to come out of that game is that offense to have confidence and to, yeah. to, to perform and do well. And it did. You couldn't have asked for a better first drive for the Bucks. No. And, um, I mean, if you were going to ask for it, you'd say maybe O.J. Howard, Kim Brate, or Mike Evans touches the ball. And none sure. of them did. Well, but I mean, you, but that's you get five completions. That's beautiful. I mean, yeah, because you know the, you know those guys are going to get theirs, right? I mean, mm-hmm. so that's what was so good about it was that you managed to drive eighty-one yards without you know the the usual suspects being the targets of of most of your throws. Like I said, the bomb he missed was to Brashard Perriman, and so you know from that standpoint, it was good. They got they got the new guys involved. The running game is something that we know the Bucks can only go up in, right? And let's not fool ourselves. It's not like Arizona was a, a top-five running team under Bruce Arians. I mean, they had David Johnson. They had some good running backs. Their running backs caught the football a lot, and I think mm-hmm. that's the difference in this offense is that Bruce Arians is going to use those guys as outlets, um, and, and I think that's going to help Jameis Winston play the position because you know Winston's eyes will always be downfield first trying to make the big play. Um, but as he adjusts his eyes, he's going to have a ways to get the ball to Barber, get the ball to uh, to his running backs, Ronald Jones, who who does a fairly decent job now catching the ball, uh, you know. And you've got Dare Agumboale, who is very very good at it, Andre Ellington. So there's going to be outlets for him, uh, so so that he doesn't have to, you know, be Superman, which is what Bruce Arians has said in the past. He wants to get the ball, get the ball out, get it out quick. Get it to your playmakers. You know, know when to take those shots. Know when to throw it in those tight windows, which he's capable of doing. And if he plays the position like that and plays winning football, they're going to be very, very good on offense because they have a lot of weapons. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I don't know what the offensive line is going to be ultimately. They're very, very, very thin there, particularly at both tackle positions. I mean, you know, you're asking Demar Dotson in like year what eleven or twelve um, to try to not get injured, which he has been the last last several years, even though he's played. Um, you know, those knees have, have really given him trouble. Donovan Smith has never missed a game, uh, almost never missed a snap in his career. Uh, but but if you lose either of those guys, you really don't have anybody behind them. And 
they're also thin, you know, a little bit inside as well. So, you know, that there's a lot of things that can go wrong, but as far as, you know, utilizing the running game, utilizing the running backs in the passing game, um, having, you know, being sharp, which is what you want to do, that was all great. And on, on defense, they started out okay, except for the fact that you realize this is not Ben Roethlisberger, folks. I mean, they weren't playing their receivers. They weren't playing Con- Connor. They weren't playing anybody. Um, but you did see a whole lot of Josh Dobbs from Tennessee, and then eventually you saw Mason Rudolph. Uh, and so, you know, these these were the guys that were moving the ball against the Bucks. But initially, anyway, in the first group, other than the second play of the game, where Vernon Hargraves gets speed on a post route, which made no sense because it's it's a fairly simple concept. He just didn't have good coverage. I thought I thought the defense, at least again when they were out there for the first unit, played okay. They gave up a field goal, um, be, essentially because of that one play. Now they did have penalties. You know that was the one thing that Arians was upset about. They had like 14 penalties and none bigger than the one on Noah Spence. There were some offsetting penalties when Spence got a hands to the face. He also caused a holding penalty, but that negated you know an interception by Hargraves, which would have given the ball at midfield. So, you know, it's it's that sort of thing that, you know, you have to clean up as you get into the regular season. You can't have that many mistakes. And a lot of those mistakes were made by young players, particularly on the offensive line. But, you know, in, in so much as when the first team was in there, you saw some things. Carl Nassib had a 16-yard sack. Um, you know, Dale Buchanan had a, had a blitz and a sack. So they did, they did some nice things. I wasn't overly impressed with, you know, their corner play per se, um, and, and then we can talk about the second group in a bit. But, you know, that's – you know, forget the score, forget everything. That's sort of what you want is for your first teams to go out there and have a good accounting of themselves, look like they know what they're doing, line up right, all those things. And, you know, they essentially had a 7-3 to three lead. But, again, temper everything with the fact that, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers took a totally different tact and said, we're not playing many – most of our starters – we're going to play about five of them, and that's it. And one of those five, by the way, was Devin Bush. I don't know if you got to see him. Mm-hmm. You know, you're well aware of Devin Bush. Yeah, 10 tackles, he, I believe. He was amazing. Yeah, he had 10 tackles. He outplayed Devin White, in, for my money. Um, Look, the Steelers Dev- The Steelers traded up 10 spots in the first round to get him before the Bengals <laughs> were going to take him at number 11. He's so. a good-looking player, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he really is. Um, if something had gone where Devin White wasn't there, I think these guys would have been interested in. In fact, I know they were. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, Devin White and Devin Bush players. were so far ahead of every other linebacker in this in this draft class. Exactly. Uh, as far as the balance of the game went, I mean, it was a little sloppy. We mentioned the uh, penalties, but it's, it's hard to fathom that, you know, I mentioned Ryan Griffin. He went out there and had to throw it 43 times. They threw it 57 times as a team, but he completed 26. He threw for 330 yards in a preseason game. Uh, unfortunately, he was sacked four times. He had the one touchdown pass. But they did a nice job of, of fighting back, and particularly in the fourth quarter. And Spencer Schnell, how about this kid? Uh, undrafted free agent. He ends up with seven catches for 119 yards. Uh, his longest was 30 yards. He got him down there a couple of times. Tanner Hudson, pretty good-looking tight end that was uh, on the practice squad a year ago. He caught seven for 84 yards and a TD, kind of a one-handed t- TD catch. Um, so I thought that that was excellent. They showed a lot of fight. They got a turnover, you know, late in the game. Um, Mazzy uh, Wilkins from USF came up with a big fumble, uh, forced fumble, and, and the Bucks recovered that, went in and scored again. You know, it was funny. Um, when Bruce Arians was trailing by a couple of scores, 
the Bucks when they scored a touchdown, they immediately went for two. And this was like early in the game, you know, it's like early in the second half. And the reason he did it was to get off this score where they whereby they might end up tying, right? He could see that coming. So he was trying to just say, hey, we're going to go for two. If we get it, great, we'll be ahead of the game. If we don't, then, you know, we'll, we'll be trailing by three or more. And so, you know, we we just won't we won't have an overtime situation. Well, darn if they didn't miss two of those two point conversions, and then when they scored late, they needed one to tie it. And of course, he had to go for it because how do you go down there and score with ten seconds left and not go for a two point conversion? Fortunately for him and the Bucks and all of us that were watching the game, um, you know they they had a play action that wasn't very good. Griffin got pressured and basically it was an incomplete pass to uh, Darway and Gumboale, and thankfully that game ended 30-28. You well, know, that, that's I would why say, they tell you you don't chase points early while you don't try to get extra points early to avoid overtime because you never know how the score is going to turn out. Exactly right. And I think they you – know, you talk about things they could do to help players out when they would talk about safety, and this is why, you know, they're considering, you know, what, what they would have to do if they went to an 18-game schedule. Here's an idea. Make a rule right now. No preseason game can go to overtime. There's no need for for a result in a preseason game. It's like baseball. They call it after nine or ten innings in the preseason. all the time. Like, we don't have any pitching. Yeah, we're good. You're good? Yeah, okay, well, let's all go home. And, I mean, but baseball is a game that never has a tie, right, in the regular Mm -hmm. season. But ties ties are something that happened in the NFL. Now, usually after an overtime, but nonetheless, it's not unprecedented for a team to finish, to have a result that is a tie. It's not as common as, say, the NHL, but it does happen and it is allowed in the National Football League. And I don't understand why any coach that goes into a preseason game should sit there and have to do math and go, you know, uh-oh, what if we score here? i got to go for two, and, and then we're going to play another overtime. Might get guys hurt. You know, um, some of these players have played too many snaps already. I don't know why they just don't come out and say, look, guys, we're not – a tie is a, is a good result, and we are not playing overtime in the preseason. I couldn't agree more. I mean, you don't need any more of that. I mean, they're talking about reducing the number of preseason games. Why are you going to increase the number of plays or number of periods? Exactly right. As far as guys that look good, I mean, you know, we did see a couple of uh, of, of good, you know, good kicks by the Bucks, but probably none better than, of course, uh, the young rookie kicker, Matt Gay from Utah. He booms a 55-yarder that could have been good from 65 or 70, I think, it is. It matched the longest field goal, by the way, in Heinz Field history. That is not an easy park to kick in. No, it's it's noted to be a bad park mm-hmm. with the winds and, and various things coming and off the, turf the rivers. Too. There is usually pretty bad, especially. Bad. Late- Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Sure. The season. He drilled it. And, you know, from that standpoint, can, can we just agree, all of us here, show of hands, who thinks that uh, Cairo Santos has any chance of, of getting this job? Put your hand down, Cairo. Aside from you, I mean, there is no way Matt I don't Matt even know Gay if his is, hand was up. It might not have been. I, it, it, you know, it, there's no way Matt Gay is not going to win this job. And, you know, 
I suppose he could miss every field goal from now until the final cutdown day. Not likely, by the way. In fact, the practice that he had on Sunday mm-hmm. was was insane. <laughs> he kicked. He made them from 50, 55, 61 yards, something like that. I mean, people yeah, four were four for four from fifty plus today. Yeah, it was just insane. I mean, the guy, you know. I've seen him kick it from 63 in the indoor facility when when there's no win. He he has he's an extremely talented guy with a strong leg. We all know that. Um, but unless he just starts, you know, kicking it left, right, left, he's going to win the job. And um, you made a good point that there was a team looking for a kicker, and in fact traded for one. Yeah, the Vikings on traded a fifth round pick for yeah. a kicker from the Ravens today, which means the Vikings have used three draft picks in the last seven seasons on kickers. Yeah, you think Jason Light was yeah, bad. They Come dra- on. They drafted one in 2012, and I don't remember which round. In a year, right. uh, 16 months ago, they used a fifth-round pick to get a kicker, and now they traded a fifth-round pick for another kicker today. There you go. And so using a fifth-round pick to get a good kicker. Look, if you can solve the problem, right, it's all a puzzle. If you can get that piece of the puzzle solved, it's well worth a fifth-round draft pick. And the Bucks are hoping that they have done that. And it's funny, they've, they went from the curse of the kicker to two guys now who can't miss – and are doing very, very well. I will say this, however, you know, Cairo Santos, I think, will kick in the National Football League this year and soon. There will be some team that needs a veteran guy. He seems to be healthy. That's been his problem over the last few years. And so, you know, with a good training camp, good film, I think somebody will probably pick him up. As far as Gay goes, you know, there's no way to give this guy experience in the NFL um, until he just does it. And you can have all the tape and all the pressure situations and, you know, guys screaming at him in practice and, you know, if you make this kick, practice ends early and all the all the sort of generated, um, you know, pressure, simulated pressure that you could put on this guy. But I guarantee you when Bruce Arians lays his head down the Saturday night before the season over against the 49ers, there's no way that guy has any clue what Matt Gay will do with the game on the line from any distance, from extra point distance, from 50 yards, from 45, it won't matter because you have to just do it, right? And that's that's going to be the great unknown. I mean, you can only make the best decision at the time, and I certainly could see why they wouldn't want to cut a talent like this, but it's still not going to guarantee you a damn thing. And, um, you know, that's just they're just going to have to live with that decision and hope for the best, which, by the way, I don't know if you saw this, just a year ago, wasn't it that the Bucks signed Chandler Catanzaro, mm-hmm. who you know was a free agent from Arizona, as a matter of fact, and had kicked for the Jets before? Well, now this year he was back with the New York Jets. The guy just retired. <laughs> I mean, you know this this shows you sort of what how fragile these guys are. I mean, once they lose their confidence and they lose their edge, he missed two extra points in a preseason game uh, against the Giants. And once they lose their edge, man, it's gone. Roberto Aguayo, another example. I mean, you know, uh, Nick Nick Folk when he got here, who had been an 83-plus percent kicker, lost his edge. He's out of football. So, you know, this is sort of the Bermuda Triangle of kickers, I guess, and maybe Cananzaro was infected with it. But shocking that a guy um, who's still fairly young decides to retire after sort of a, you know, a really bad game. So as far as guys that uh, maybe weren't as impressive, uh, certainly anyone that played offensive line uh, with that second group, not good. Oh, by the way, uh, as part of uh, some of the, the deals they had to make, you know, the transactions they had to make after the game, Evan Smith 
is gone. He's been released after being here five years. So uh, they made that, and he—he's a guy that came back off of uh, double, double hip surgery and looked looked pretty bad in the game against Pittsburgh. Um, although I'm not sure that's the reason why they released him. They need some depth at some other positions, and and so they made some acquisitions. We'll talk about in a minute. Um, but I thought that uh, so the, the the backup offensive line was not good. You know they wanted to see more from some of their young pass rushers. Remember the story um, I did on Cousin Daniels who is legally, you know, not legally, but just blind in one eye, has been, you know, his entire life. That was sort of revealed just before the draft. Um, he, you know, they expected more out of him. They thought that he would rush the passer better. They just simply didn't get a very good rush against, you know, some of the second and third team offensive lines that the Steelers threw out there, which is a little disheartening because I, I know, you know, Todd Bowles is going to do a lot of his pressure using the blitz and that sort of thing, and they did get, you know, one of their sacks that way. But you don't want to show too much too early in the preseason. But it was disappointing. These guys have looked good in training camp. Maybe it's just because they look good against backup offensive linemen for the Bucks that aren't that aren't very strong. But uh, you know, they're so he you know Arians singled him out, and uh, you know just thought overall that uh, you know Tanner Hudson who had a good game you know also had a couple of penalties on special teams, and so they've got to cut down on that and you know just get better executing. And hopefully, and hopefully, generate a pass rush because you know here's the thing: you're starting to have guys drop like flies. I mean, Mike Edwards, who tried to play in that game, went out. He aggravated a hamstring, so now he's out. You know, you don't have Levante David. You know, Vita Vea is out for an extended period of time. May not be ready for the opener. You can't afford to lose anybody else. And the guys that are in there are going to have to produce. You know, this is the thing. So you know, Jamel Dean came back to practice on Sunday, so that was a good sign. Maybe they'll get some guys back. Noah Spence, though, um, was singled out, too, by Arians. Inasmuch as he did create some pressure, but he also had an egregious hand-to-the-face penalty that, you know, while he, while he you know, sort of coaxed the offensive tackle into a holding penalty, they were offsetting, and so it negated an interception by Hargraves, which was good to see him bounce back from giving up that 40-something-yard slant on the second play. So Spence has to be more consistent. He can't have penalties, obviously. I thought he got tired. I thought that his endurance wasn't great. And, you know, they want to see him make plays in the running game and not just be a pass rusher. I'm not sure he'll get there. I think he's probably going to be more of a designated pass rusher type. But they're going to have to find some guys to, you know, to play on that defensive front. So there's a lot to work on, you know, before they get ready to scrimmage the Miami Dolphins this week and then play them. On Friday, uh, of course, Ryan Fitzpatrick comes back to town. We'll have all that coverage uh, whenever he decides to talk, either Tuesday or Wednesday on Sports Day Tampa Bay. So, yeah, week one is in the books, and uh, the Bucks didn't win the game. That was disappointing to them, but they did uh, hang in there and did battle back. And we'll see how much Jameis Winston and, and the guys will play, probably a little bit more against the Dolphins, but not a ton. I mean, same same rules would apply. You can't afford to expose this guy um, to injuries, and – you know, I think the third preseason game is the one, of course, that you'll see the starters the most. But they would like to see Ronald Jones and Peyton Barber and those guys build on a confidence that they had in that first drive. And, then look, if you can take the ball and put it in the end zone every time in the preseason, you'll build some momentum and some confidence, which is a good thing. All right, speaking of confidence, and you said it, Ryan Yarborough of the Tampa Bay Rays went out there. And, you know, he's always been the guy that's sort of been the ball-getting dude. You know, they'd, they'd have – one of their guys opened the game, and uh, whether it was Ryan Stanek or somebody like that for him, 
Well, because they're sort of low on pitching, they gave Yarbrough a chance to actually start the game. And what would you know, he looked very, very good. No, he looked terrific, as a matter of fact. He scattered three hits and had some spectacular plays in the field to help him. We can talk about it in a minute. But he gets – Stevie went eight and two-thirds innings. Now, there is – I didn't realize this. There's not been a raise complete game, although it makes sense when you think about the opener. But there's not been a raise complete game in, in, in about three years. Uh, it's uh, May think. 14th of 2016. It was Matt Andrees. Yeah. Matt Andrees. So this is incredible. Now I got another uh, stat. stat for you. The sure. Rays hadn't had a p- starting pitcher pitch in the ninth inning in over in over two years. It was okay, Alex that's, Cobb that's, in 2017. Yeah, that's even more surprising to me in a sense um, that that no one would go into uh, no starter would go into the ninth inning. But Yarborough did, and let me tell you, he was terrific. I mean, this guy, you know, was uh, pounding the strike zone uh, a lot of a lot of different pitches. Now he faced a predominantly left-handed hitting lineup, which I think helped him. He benefited from. But he mowed these guys down and got terrific plays, uh, one by Willie Adamas in the hole, um, an- another one uh, in center field, not by Kevin Kiermaier this time. Guillermo Heredia with a nice catch yeah. at the wall, hitting the wall at the same time he caught it and held on. That's right. So spectacular defense behind him. So anyway, they, they get – and you know this is now a chance to sweep the Seattle Mariners, which before this series, Steve, I don't, they had lost nine in a row in Seattle. They hadn't won in Seattle since 2015. Right. So, you know, they had some comebacks, of course, you know, some big a big game by Mike Zanino who had a three-run bomb. He he hit very, very well against his former team. Looks like he found something out there that helped him. So that was good. But you go to the ninth inning and, you know, they've they've got Emilio Pagan sort of throwing in the bullpen and you're thinking, okay, it's a one to nothing game. There's very little if no margin for error. Certainly if a guy gets on, you're going to replace him, you know, you're not going to you're not going to let him go too far. But the pitch count is still pretty good. And, you know, he goes back out there and gets two fairly quick innings or two fairly quick outs in the, in the ninth inning. So you need one out, maybe one pitch. And here comes Kevin Cash. And he didn't hesitate at all. He jumped out of that dugout to go <laughs> no, replace him. No, he did not. <laughs> he did not. You know, I was watching and, uh, I was at a Rays watch party with Steve Carney and, from WDAE. And, and you know, as – the Rays were coming to bat in the top of the ninth. I said, they better get a run or two here. Otherwise, Yarbs may not finish this game. Mm-hmm. You know, had it been a two or three or four run game, he probably gets that, gets the chance to get that out. But with a one run game, Cash wasn't going to risk it with the hard hitting right hander coming up against Yarborough. You know what was interesting? I don't know if this came through. Um, it did on my radio. Is that when Cash came out of the dugout, the Seattle fans or the people in attendance at that game, they booed. There was booing. Yes, there was. They recognized that, wait a minute, you're not going to let this guy who, who you know pitched his butt off against our team, if you're a Seattle fan, they were upset that the kid wasn't going to finish the damn game. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was really interesting. It was like, you know, baseball fans just going, you know, hey, th- you know, the rules, not, not the you know, sort of the protocol is you let this guy have a chance to finish to throw a complete game shutout. It's one to nothing. That's just never going to happen with the race. I'm convinced that you know, and, and and look, we can we can second guess Cash all he wants to. Pagan gets the guy on two pitches to hammer one um, to the second baseman, and they get the third out, and they win the game. Which is, by the way, the last time I checked, that is the objective. Not you know, as, as I tweeted, I before. The last that last hitter came up, and they made the pitching change. I you know put something on Twitter 
with with the caveat that you know you don't this is not a merit badge business you don't you don't earn things like that it's about wins and losses and and this team no matter what you think of what cash has done he's done it with charlie morton he's done it with other pitchers where you felt hey why is he going to get this guy now and he's playing matchups but no matter how he's done it they're 19 games over 500 and i mean you know with the injuries that they have had especially to their pitching staff you know, with all the guys that, that, that including Blake Snell, who's going to begin, I guess, his first throwing of a baseball today, mm-hmm. um, since he since he had the surgery on his elbow. But Tyler Glass now, and and you know, Honeycutt, you could go right down the line. The Chirinos, they're, Yanni they're, Chirinos, Chir- Honeycutt. Chirinos, right? Honeycutt with, with Honeywell, the Tommy Brett John. Honeywell, you mean. Honeywell, Honeywell. I'm sorry, with the Tommy John um, the year before. But I'm, my whole point is, is that they've they've had enough pitchers now mm-hmm. get knocked out to where Kevin Cash has had to juggle this staff. Um, to the point where, you know, he didn't have a choice in many instances. But no matter what he's done, they're 19 games over. And that's really the bottom line. But it, there is – here's what I don't know, Steve. And I, I played the game not at the major league level. But I but I do – I do – or professional. But I do wonder, you know, if there is any residual effect. Um, yes, these guys want to get the win. They want to be the reason why – your team wins when they're on the mound. That 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 is the objective. Is it? It's a team game. You want the team to win. You want to put them as a team in position to win your game every time you go out and take the ball. Um, but if you're Charlie Morton and you know he comes and gets you and you 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 put up you know the kind of numbers that that Morton has and you, mm-hmm. your pitch count is low. If if you're Ryan Yarbrough who's gone out there and dom, I mean he dominated. Yes, they had a couple of good plays, but he dominated that lineup. Mm-hmm. And you, you you know he's sort of young and and this was, you know I think only his maybe the fifth time he's actually started a game, um, you know usually the bulk innings guy but if you know his record is insane by the way the last two two years, and and so you just wonder like could there be down the road, you know these guys saying wait a minute you know where where's the where's the confidence in me to get the big out particularly we've seen it with mm-hmm. uh, you know with Charlie Morton where. You know, he takes them out, and they give up the lead. Well, here's the good thing, and, and if you're if you're playing the mental game, if you're Ryan Yarbrough, who's in his essentially second year, mm-hmm. well, they did it to Charlie Morton, so it's not good like point. they're singling me out. No, that's a good point. You know, so if you're playing the mental game, I mean, here's the thing: whether it's you know you're going to Vegas to play the casinos or whatever else is, you know, well, you're playing blackjack. The odds are you're going to win forty-seven, forty-eight percent of the time, whatever it is as long as you play the odds. When you start mm-hmm. deviating from the odds, that's when you can either go way out of whack either way. And the Rays, mm-hmm. are, the Rays play the odds. They say, this is the matchup, this is who's the best pitcher, we're going to do it every time no matter what. And sometimes it turns out to be right, sometimes it turns out to be wrong. But if your numbers are good and your stats and all that, then over time it should be a winning formula. That's the way the Rays yeah. think and, and operate. So it doesn't matter whether you're Charlie Morton or Ryan Yarbrough, they're taking you out mm-hmm. in that situation based on the hitter that was coming up and your pitch count and everything else that goes into it. That you know, who knows yeah. what other stats they're tracking along the way. Like it or not, that's the way they operate, and that's the way they've been successful for the last couple of seasons, too. It's worked. It is. It's worked, and you can't you can't argue with its success, especially the last few years. It's tough to watch though. And there was a visceral reaction on Twitter, on other places. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Cash did that, and he admitted, you know, look, I, I, I expect him to be mad. I mean, Yarbrough was very honest. He said I, I wasn't happy. In fact, I was a little angry about it, but you know, it wasn't there wasn't animus. I handed him the ball, and 
and I'm just glad we won the game and Pagan got the last out and two pitches and everybody everybody should be friends and forget about it. But, um, you know, Cash is in a position and, and he has big enough shoulders to accept this is the Rays way. And you're right. They're going to play the matchups. They're going to look who's on the bench. They're going to try to figure out, you know, what, what, what counter moves the Mariners would have done. Um, and they had the percentages and the odds in front of them. And they got the guy out. Doesn't matter how hard he mm-hmm. hit the ball. They managed to get him out. Well, so that, that'll help the mental part of Yarborough too. Is look, if, if they'd have given up the run and you lose the game oh. in the ninth or extras, then you have more, maybe more of a carryover. And it doesn't, you know. Right. And Kevin Cash even said, "Look, I, you know, I expect Ryan not to be happy about it, and I, I want him not to be happy about it. I want guys that right. give me the ball. I want to get the outs. That's that's what let you me, want. Let on me your finish. Team. Yeah, you know, absolutely. A little anger, a little, you know, is not a bad thing. No, heck, no." They all have pride, and, and you want the ball in your hands. I, I still think – I mean, can you imagine, though, what what it would have been? And let's face it, the guy got a nice chunk of that baseball, but what it would mm-hmm. have been if, if Pagan gives up a homer oh. there? We, I mean, We were talking about that just going, um, you man, you just hope he he gets that out. Because, I mean, Yarbrough and, – and let's give it up for Ryan Yarbrough. How good has he been over the last ten appearances? Unbelievable. This guy's nine, unbelievable. nine of his last ten appearances he's given up one or run or less. Listen, I didn't. I didn't watch. I, I tried to look at every pitch he threw in this game, and I mm-hmm. damn near did. I saw him hit ninety once. Mm-hmm. I mean, once, and it was a ball. He kind of humped up on it. This guy's a pitcher. I mean, he throws darts, you know, and he's got the slider and the curve. Really tough on left-handers because it's a sweeping, uh, breaking pitch. Um, but you know, he tops out his fastball around eighty-eight miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he's he low- changes speed. Yeah, he's lowered his ERA from five-five-nine to three-nine-zero. In that stretch of ten games now, it's incredible. It, you know, and, and it's incredible. eight and two thirds. Like I said, the longest race pitcher to pitch. Well, I don't know how long Cobb went when he went into the ninth and yeah. seventeen, but I know it was the last time a race pitcher went into the ninth inning. So, I mean, they're committed to their matchups, and look, they got it done. So, overall, it was a it was a great road trip for them, at least to Seattle. Now they go on to San Diego. And we'll see if they can keep this momentum going. But they are now, I believe, Steve, two and a half games um, clear of, of Oakland. Is that right for the second wild card? Or is it one and a half? Yeah, they're one and a half games ahead of Oakland now for the second wild card. They're two and a half games behind Cleveland and Minnesota. Cleveland went up to Minnesota, took three of four. They're now tied for first place. And if you remember, Neil Solon's predicting that Cleveland he would catch it. Minnesota. And Minnesota yeah. will not make the playoffs. So they're in a tie now for the Central Division and then – Whoever doesn't win the Central is in the lead for the first wild card right now. So the race two and a half games back of either Cleveland or Minnesota. If and, you play this out and say that Minnesota is, is really fading, and they are, and Cleveland wins that division, Minnesota might just drop pat below the race. The race mm-hmm. actually might have a better chance of running the Twins down the way they're trending mm-hmm. than they would the Cleveland Indians. So they're, they're, they're still in great position to try to get that first wild card, which is a big difference, obviously. Absolutely, um, and, and and the Rays know, got some help today from Anthony Benboom. You remember him? How about that, yeah. He was a catcher for the Rays. It was called up with all those injuries this year, and he was uh, DFA'd. Well, he's with the Angels now, and he got a hit in the tenth inning to beat Boston. Boston now seven and a half games behind the Rays. That's unbelievable, and and yet there's there's a part of me that says don't bury him yet. They're only a part they're of only me four that, games above five hundred with that line. No, they're. It's it's incredible. I mean, they're so talented, uh, you know, as far as trying to navigate that lineup. The starting pitching has not been what it needs to be. That's clear. They've had you know times where the bullpen was mm-hmm. giving up too many runs. So 
you know, obviously it's the pitching. I mean, I think their first – there was a time a couple of weeks ago, Steve, where their top three batters in the lineup have scored, had scored the most – they were one, two, and three in runs scored. Think about that in the same lineup. So offensively, it's, it's certainly not on the offense, but they just haven't gotten the clutch pitching that they needed. And yeah, so Currently they have one, three, and six. Yeah, Betts with 106, still... Devers with 96, and Bogarts with 91. That's incredible, man. It's just you know, speaks to how loaded they are as a line, and that's and for that reason, I can't bury them in my mind. I I can't, even though it's six and a half, seven games, whatever. I still think that there's enough time left for them to go on, you know, one of those you know twenty one and four streaks or whatever, and get back in this thing. I'm trying to do a quick search for Tampa Bay's top run score. Just as uh, I think it might be Yandy Diaz at 53. He hasn't played in a month. Yeah, but 91 is sixth place. That was the third highest on Boston. All right, so the Rays now, as we mentioned, will move on to San Diego to play the Padres. The Bucks have one more practice before they begin their uh, dual workouts with the Miami Dolphins, and that, of course, is leading up to their Friday preseason home opener against the Dolphins at Raymond James Stadium. And remember, folks, we're, we're going to have a mail, mailbag for tomorrow, so get your questions ready. Um, it could be on anything, the Bucks, the Rays, the Bolts. Uh, certainly college football is just around the corner with USF. Going to host Wisconsin here in a couple weeks. So uh, if you want to reach us, uh, just submit your questions to us on Twitter, at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. So mailbag tomorrow. We'll have Tom Jones this week. Um, my buddy cop, Eduardo Encina, and I will preview the uh, Miami Dolphins game. So lots of great stuff coming up on the podcast this week. We appreciate you guys listening to us each and every day. We're here through Monday and uh, all the way through Friday. And um, thanks again for that. For Steve Verstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody.